0: G'day. Dominic Barfield here and this is the RVC Clinical Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing on your smartphone or whatever generic fruit-based device that you have. We're really grateful for you taking the time to download and to listen to this RVC Clinical Podcast. We really don't ask for anything in return, but what we would be grateful for is a couple of minutes of your time just to go to the Apple Podcast store or iTunes store and you could just go in there and just leave us a five-star review Obviously, there's other stars available, but five stars would really be beneficial and help our metrics to allow people who are really interested in getting this information sort of to them. It sort of puts us up further parts of whatever tree that uh, Brian and myself don't understand, but actually does sort of benefit people who are interested in getting access to this information. Apart from that sort of word of mouth, maybe tell uh, a friend or colleague who you work with about these podcasts. But if you could leave us a review, that would be that would be fantastic. Today, we're going to talk to, about, talk to Dr. Stefano Cortellini uh, about the approach to um, bleeding disorders or approach to animals with bleeding disorders. So, thank you, Dr. Cortellini, for, for coming along.
1: Thank you, Don, for inviting again. Again. <laughs>
0: thank yeah. you. No, no, no pressure or anything like that. No, So that you, I, tested. I, <laughs> absolutely. So, is the idea is that um, uh, do, you, do you have like, a general approach like if a patient comes in that has bleeding as, as part of its... Uh, as part of its problem list, like do you do you have a general approach? Do you think about these cases mm. in in general?
1: I guess the the question, the first question I always ask myself, uh, which may not necessarily be the the right way <laughs> of doing, but is is this bleeding spontaneous or traumatic? Uh, so is this patient abnormally bleeding? Or is there a reason why he is bleeding? So, for example, a patient with epistaxis, is he bleeding because he's got a coagulopathy or is he bleeding because he's got um, a mass that is bleeding? Same thing, hemoabdomen, patient with hemoabdomen, is he coagulopathic or he or she coagulopathic? Or has, is this a spontaneous bleeding because of um, a mass that has ruptured or is it because of trauma? Because I think the approach, then the diagnostic approach, will take different ways like completely different ways isn't it if it's traumatic i'm not gonna look too much into it probably if it's spontaneous i mean if it's coagulopathy i'm gonna try and look as as far as as much as i can into coagulation factors platelets and all the little things that we can speak about Uh, but if it's a mess ultimately i actually wanna probably investigate that and address that in a surgical manner
0: Absolutely. So, so because if you see a patient that has had a had a had a traumatic situation, mm-hmm. then you don't necessarily looking for does this patient have von Willebrand's um, factor deficiency or a uh, or haemophilia or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, mm-hmm. because you think there's a there's an inciting cause. So, so there's, absolutely there's, there's, not there's,
1: necessarily. There's no... And if we look at the all the, I mean, the, isn't there's all the this now new new fashion, if you want, like on acute traumatic coagulopathy. Actually, the, the abnormalities on the coagulation profiles, on the, on the coagulation tests that we routinely do in practice, they're actually not that abnormal. Um, and so the bleeding that we find is usually associated with the trauma itself, so it's unlikely that looking into that is going to give you important information. Now, it can happen. I don't know if you remember the, the labrador that came here, like a, um, a puppy of a labrador that came here, I think it was a couple of years ago, after um, hitting a tree with a huge hematoma, and that dog was hemophiliac. So in some cases, when you can't explain it, maybe it is worth to do a little bit more information, but generally speaking, if you get a traumatic patient is bleeding, I mean, that's what supposed to happen after you get a trauma uh, when the bleeding the degree of trauma is unexplained it's is unexplained um sorry when the degree of trauma is is not compatible with the degree of bleeding or when the bleeding is actually excessive compared to yes to the, to the degree of trauma then in that case i guess you can look a little bit more deep so, so do you
0: generally if you have a, a patient that's bleeding more so if it doesn't have a, a trauma um, it or, or a known trauma because because mm. I think that that's I think for the most part that like with dogs things that trauma normally witnessed aren't they because dogs mm. aren't responsible enough to go outside um, unsupervised alone, whereas, whereas cats it's always like in the back of your mind that they could yeah. have had a, a traumatic experience even if none is witnessed if they're indoor or outdoor uh, um, uh, cats however dogs they, they you know we're not unless they escape <laughs> yeah and and the uh and the client's aware of that i like normally it's a it's a witnessed event if they if they have a trauma so so if an animal sort of presents to you um that has no history of of, of trauma and is and is bleeding so yeah. how how do you how do you examine that patient or do you examine that patient differently <clears throat> initially
1: well I, yes i do in the meaning that if it's you know, if it's trauma, I'm going to look for all the possible consequences of trauma. If it's not trauma, uh, then what I would be looking into is, is this patient got acroagulopathy, obviously? And if this patient has got acroagulopathy, in my mind, it's probably going to have signs of bleeding elsewhere. So, for example, a patient that is bleeding has got immune from thrombocytopenia and presents with melina. In my mind, I'm actually going to look for bleedings at the level of the abdominal uh, of the ventrum or in the gums. So I'm going to look for other sites of bleeding because if you're coagulopathic you're not it's rare that you're going to actually bleed just in one place. It can happen certainly, but if you find signs of bleeding elsewhere that are compatible with that kind of coagulopathy that you're expecting, then I think that leads you more towards the coagulopathy rather than a localized um, damage or injury that has caused a bleeding itself.
0: So you're trying to look at the patient to see if you can identify uh, other sites that would um, give you further evidence to make you think that this is that that yeah. coagulopathy that is. That it's is going a little
1: bit like. of addressing the clinical exam to reinforcing your your initial diagnosis. So you know like. A, Again, yes, you've got melina, what can melina cause, uh, be caused by? It can be uh, an ulcer, or it can be coagulopathy, or, or a tumour, or it can be a coagulopathy. Now, if you do have a coagulopathy, it's going to be a severe coagulopathy probably, so a severe immunoid thrombostatopenia. If you do have that severe thrombostatopenia, you're likely to have a petechiation. Now, if you've got, so if you have petechiation pitiki, at the level of the oral uh, mucosa or the ventrum or the ears or the sclera, then that's likely that you are thomasotropinic and you can look into that pathway. If you haven't got any other signs of coagulopathy, maybe it is something that is happening, so a a gastric uh, ulceration or or intestinal ulceration or uh, a mass or an oral bleeding that is basically with, with blood being digested at level of the stomach and developing into melina, like it can happen, for example, with uh, eosinophilic ulcers in cats that bleed in the mouth and then basically they, it's not a coagulopathy. They've got an ulcer that is bleeding, they digest the blood and then it comes as melina. They're not coagulopathic. They've got and also those bleeding,
0: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so in your when, when you've made your assessment and you've had a look at the skin, and say if you think so, for, for that example that you've used of, of epistaxis, and you m- maybe say that you can see some petechiae or ecchymosis mm-hmm. or blotches that look like that, well, maybe do, do you think we can be ever confused by, um, by say bruising on the skin or ecchymosis? Do we, do we, ever, do we ever question? that is this actually an ecchymosis or a petechiae or, or do you think that we're quite that that seeing those uh um uh lesions on the skin it you know makes us think that there's a, a primary coagulopathy going on
1: most of it it's a good question because most of the times uh yes it is primary coagulopathy so related to thrombocytopenia um slash Um as much as we can see thrombosatopatia, which is kind of rare, or, or maybe unidentified. But anyway, um, in certain cases, though, for example, uh, I mean, if we look at the coagulopathy, we usually break it down into primary coagulopathy, so platelets and von Willebrand factor, so platelets and interaction with endothelium, uh, secondary coagulopathy, so which is definitive fibrin clot formation, so all the clotting factors, which we assess with PT and APTT, and then the fibrinolysis, that sometimes can be increased. And I'm sure um, probably Dan will know way way more and, and say may, way more on uh, fibrinolysis, but in certain breeds, for example, greyhounds, if they undergo surgery, they can develop PTKations and ecchymosis subcutaneously. So in this breed, maybe it can be a little bit confusing because it can be related to hyperfibrinolysis but generally speaking if we see a uh, subcutaneous hemorrhage uh, or um, uh, petechiation, uh, whether they're in the ventrum or in the skin or in the oral uh, mucosa or in the sclera it's likely to be very likely to be um, a primary coagulopathy so mm-hmm. it's very exceptional that it's
0: otherwise. Yeah, so yeah, I suppose that's a good point. Maybe, a did. So we we know that uh, we know that greyhounds have this hyperfibrinolysis um, that we're not necessarily sure. I suppose like why maybe that a genetic mm-hmm. link is associated with that. So in other words, they still form a clot, but the clot just gets broken yeah. down a lot faster than maybe than it's just physiologic
1: adaptation, dogs. isn't it? Yeah, to their athletic nature. But yeah. And and so yeah. and so
0: they they tend to they tend to have these lesions and we might see bleeding associated with them that that it's nothing to do with a plate that's all clotting factors but actually just that their their yeah. clot is broken down a little a little faster, um and, and that you know <clears throat> excuse me and, and maybe there certain uh, drugs that might be more appropriate to administer in, in those situations, but with 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 this case that's a that has epistaxis. You've identified might have particular eczema mm-hmm. that, that is related then, to yeah. that. So then, so then, what what's your what's your next step? That you do more in a in a, in a diagnostic way. So yeah. so what what do you what, what do you actually what do you actually do on the on the shop floor um, when you yeah. have these patients?
1: I guess I'm, I mean you know my nature being hyper excitable. I want an answer straight away. So uh, probably what I, I what I usually do is just a blood smear. Nice, not expensive. Clear. I can actually see it with my eyes. So, uh, if I mess- make a mistake, that's actually me. Uh, I know who's responsible for that. So, do a blood smear and evaluate uh, a platelet count on um, on that. Uh, you know, if we've got, I mean, if we've got signs consistent with primary coagulopathy, it can be either thrombocytopenia or severe thrombocytopenia. Usually, we're speaking about less than forty thousand platelets, 50,000 platelets. I don't think there's a any cut off clear um out there but that's roughly the number that we're looking at that is associated with spontaneous hemorrhage uh, or von willebrand deficiency so obviously with von willebrand disease in general it's a little bit difficult so what i can do is checking the platelet number uh, and i can do that again inexpensively and rapidly within two minutes uh in-house um and usually, what I'm expecting. Yeah.
0: Sorry, I suppose, I suppose you just say just to uh we're, we're all on the, on the same British page. The no, side. no, no. But, but just you're on the same page, you, you make it smooth and you have a look and have a look at the, the feather edge, make sure there's yes. no clumps there. And when you're talking about like normal numbers, as you said, so it does depend on the. I was speaking to uh, to Kate English a, a, a couple of months ago, but it, it, d- it depends on the like the magnification, sort of size of your um, high-powered lens. So the times 100 magnification, but you're looking at like 10 to 10 12, Ten to 12, 10 to fifteen platelets per high yeah. power field, right. Yeah. But when we when we get to so concerned that, that number that you're talking about, so around sort of forty to fifty, yeah. well maybe that's like two to three platelets per high power field. Absolutely right? so with so, no platelet. Yeah. yeah. So 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 you go with nothing at the at the feathered edge. Because the feathered edge if there are clumps is always confusing because probably they're adequate, yeah. right? So so maybe 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 that's uh, that's right if there's large amounts amounts of uh, amounts of clumps. But when we're talking about like those, you know, if you can't see any platelets, then that, that's that's very um well it, it's quite rare in a that, sense yeah. but but uh but in other words you look through all the monolayers and there's just none or one or two yes. and 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 it 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 seems to be and correct me if I'm wrong but but uh um with many patients would say we suspect a thrombocytopenia like we can't really see any platelets. yeah but like there's there's very <laughs> yeah. there's very few that you see like one or two yeah regions. usually
1: we get excited after like five minutes oh, there's a bl- like, <laughs> um, but otherwise yes it's yeah. th- that's the numbers that we're looking one two maximum per high power field
0: yeah yeah um, absolutely so, you, so if you if you have a look at that sorry to interrupt and a, a bit further okay. clarify but uh, so you have a have a look at a a a, a blood smear yes and, and then and then and then what do you do
1: um Anyway, submit for hematology. You never know, like, if you've know if you taken blood and maybe you've waited a little bit too much, you may not see clamps, you may have clotted. So always that, but, you know, just to... You do need some sort of um, official report, and I guess machines are probably more, a bit more reliable. Uh, it's also useful to see if there's any other problem in terms of white blood cells or red blood cell count. Uh, so try to look into other hematological abnormalities that may be uh, present because i mean if the thrombocytopenia is thrombocytopenia is itself then it's a localized problem but if the patient is also anemic and thro and neutropenic for example we may have a a different problem usually when we speak about thrombocytopenia we speak about you know you if we want to academically um break it down. We've got sequestration, uh, consumption, lack of production or destruction. So um, you looking at other red blood cells or red blood cells or white blood cells can help you in trying to fit your thrombocytopenia in this kind of... Uh, areas. So,
0: say if we get into two, two sort of c- scenarios with this with this dog with say, epi- epistaxis. epistaxis right. yeah. So, if you've taken a, a blood smear and you've had a look at it and you think the platelet count is normal, mm-hmm. so th- then would you would you jump to other coagulation testings, or would you think that maybe this might be local disease, as in as in maybe maybe there is something more affecting the nose than then yeah. a, a generalized system. Yes, it always depends.
1: So if we've got other signs of uh, abnormal coagulopathy, then yes, I would probably look a little bit more into coagulation factor, whether it's a von Willebrand factor or or something else, or, or even look into secondary clotting factor. So checking PTA, PTT anyway, even though it's not usually associated. In the lack of other. Coagulation um, abnormalities on a clinical exam. Then at that point, I would probably look into other reasons for epistaxis. Um, I mean, a lot of times also being unilateral, bilateral is also important. So if it's bilateral, it's more likely to be potentially like coagulopathy. If it's unilateral, it's more likely to be localized. The history tells a lot. So if there's been, you know, any um, Potentially reverse sneezing or sneezing or, or discharge can tell you, pre-existing, can tell you that probably this is not quite a good up with you, it's something that has been growing slowly or something that has been uh, developing and progressing over time structurally uh, but you know then we can check we can look into other causes of epistaxis at that point blood pressure is this patient hypertensive um, or look into you know other um, for example infectious disease I mean Leishmania is not here uh, in the in the UK but that, that can be associated so we'll try to look into um, yeah other other causes um, I guess it's always balancing about um, the the different Uh, clinical diagnostic weight, and each single diagnostic step then adds a little uh, weight to to the scale of the diagnostic suspicion. Uh, And I guess a normal platelet count, to me, would probably uh, make me think about other other non-coagulopathic causes of epistaxis. as a general rule, what we tend to do here—I don't know, r- rightly or wrongly—but I think considering the incidence of uh, or the prevalence of um, antiphospholipidosis in the UK is always check a uh, lungworm disease. We've seen so many patients with a primary disease that wasn't um, affecting their coagulation system, but because of a positive lungworm state, they would be coagulopathic and actually bleed out, and that happens a lot surgically, isn't it? Uh, But sometimes just checking lung worms in patients that are not treated for it, uh, I think would be a good idea.
0: Yeah, I, think, I mean, see, so the, the uh, when I when I took over the podcast from uh, from uh, from Shailen, um, the, the the first person I spoke to was, was Karen, and we did like a redux of uh, of the Andrea Strongness talk because she'd spoken a couple of years uh, before to, to Shailen. And see, it seems that that it's one of those things that's always in the in the back of your mm-hmm. mind, isn't it? Like any bleeding thing that's a bit weird in the, yeah. in the UK, like always check for check for that because mm. it's it's just a a, a common well. It's it's not a common thing, but of of, uh, of bleeding disorders, it, it's it's got to it's got to be quite up there and what in absolutely. what we in what we see sort of thing, um absolutely. So so say if you had a uh, if you were concerned about there were like petechiae uh, or ecchymoses, but you had a a normal sort of platelet count, um, or at least you thought that was you know at least at, at least a normal number. Is 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 that maybe would that maybe make you think about doing a buccal mucosal bleeding time, or do you think that that mm. that it's that it's got um, it's got its own sort of issues associated with it, or do you think that there's uh, there's still value to be had?
1: Absolutely. I mean, bu- buccal mucosal bleeding time is one of those uh, tests that we probably either not do enough or do inappropriately. Um, I guess the the few times that we've done it is this kind of scenario. So we don't know if a bleeding is actually associated with coagulopathy. So why don't we do a BMBT and see if the patient is actually coagulopathic? So if he bleeds more than four or five minutes, according if it's a cat or a dog, um, then that can, if it's bleeding more than that, that could be a coagulopathy. So certainly we need to look into that. Um, The other... Potential uh, way of doing, uh, reason to do a BMBT is I've got a patient that is thrombocytopenic. He's not spontaneously bleeding, but I need to take him to surgery. So, for example, the case that we we have now, you know, a patient that has sepsis has got thrombocytopenia. We need to place an O tube. Is he gonna bleed if we place an O tube? So we do a BMBT and see if he's clotting properly clinically. BMBT was fine, cool. Let's go and place the O tube because if you bleed some more, like that's can can cause problems. So I think these are the two likely scenarios to me to, to apply the BMBT. The problem I think that I have with the BMPT, the, the issue is that it needs to be done performed appropriately with the patient rested, like you need to take your time to calm the patient, like and do it properly, like um, just you know uh, with with them the blade so, so, yeah
0: <laughs> there's a, so there's a, a standard sort of cut de- exactly. device um, that you put like on the mucous membranes but you need to hold up the gum and, and yes. in theory like We'd tie, tie it, it up and have yeah. it a bit congested because you want a blood pressure around sort of 60 millimetres of mercury and blot away from it and yeah, I think ideal ideal conditions mm-hmm. it's uh, it's probably hard to hard to do. And and I agree with you, like even, you know, I suppose even uh, where we are and very interested in coagulopathies in, in general, I think I've probably done two or three. That's uh, about which what is, I do as well. Which yeah. is which is not you know, less than one a year for sure. Yeah. So so not something that, that we, we necessarily um, do quite a lot. And I suppose that part of that is that you you need to have normal platelet number for, for for sure, but also yeah. it you know the prolong the, the the normal times are so varied that actually like it's not it's not necessarily very sensitive hmm. for uh, for for maybe thrombocytopathia or other things you know, it right. can have mild effects that so not necessarily a, a problem, but it, but you're, you're probably right for for confidence like if a patient has a bleeding disorder, so if you're concerned about. Um von Wittebrand's factor deficiency in a in an animal that you're going to think about uh, uh, taking for 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 a spay then it's probably not a not a bad thing mm-hmm. to do because if they are gonna bleed a lot then or mm-hmm. well, maybe that's a bit of a concern if it's a if it's a breed that you're suspicious might have yeah. uh, a high prediction to to have that so if it's a um, you know, a dopamine or uh, a Labrador or the other breeds associated with that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we see necessarily the the n- many um, severely affected von Willebrand factor mm. dogs, but maybe, maybe we just we we don't see them on our end. But it's still the most yeah. that, uh, in practice that, could yeah be ab- line, yeah absolutely and and the, and the most common genetic bleeding disorder there is so, mm. so in 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 the world. So it's probably something that that maybe that that gives some confidence that. Maybe it's not yeah. going to cases. I
1: mean, but most of the times we have this, this issue, isn't it, because we get lots of people that come in and say, oh, the patient is bleeding, let's check if, let's check a BMT. The patient is bleeding, look into the causes of bleeding rather than seeing if it's bleeding. Like, you have clinically a bleeding that is going on, you don't need to make another bleeding. So I think sometimes it's misused or used inappropriately. Yeah, so,
0: uh, so, so it's not going to help you if you if you're actually actively bleeding wherever that is. Yeah. Then then it's a it's a a, a, a pointless. Um, exercise to yep. to make another cut to see what's going on because exactly. because you, there, you've there got to
1: look into why he is bleeding.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because we're kind of limited in in the tests that we can do mm.
1: because because
0: all you all we all have said so far is obviously look for an obvious cause of, of, of hemorrhage, but also then um, we'll say if you d- depending on the clinical pictures, whether there's any particular ecchymosis or epistaxis, melina you know maybe we can have a look at platelet number. So that's mm-hmm. like a physical count. Maybe yeah. we can. Do like a like a plate function test. So, so in what in what in what uh, um, in what patient population do you think that the clotting times like give give value in in a in a in a bleeding patient?
1: I think it's more like with the clinical patients that, for example, develop. Pleural or abdominal effusion, so or, or joint effusion, for example, there are usually the or hematuria, for example, as well, which are u- usually the sites of bleeding that are affected by secondary coagulopathy. Now, it's not like um, black and white sort of differentiation, but usually when we see uh, diseases affecting the secondary coagulopathy, we usually see them because of hemoabdomen or hemothorax, um, and so in these cases usually that's what we that's where we tend to check so for example uh, with patients yes with uh, with spontaneous bleeding uh, the other time that we could check secondary coagulopathy um, sorry um, clotting factors to check for secondary coagulopathy could be also patients that have been bleeding and that were worried that may have consumed clotting factors so a hemoabdomen that presents maybe because he's got a mass he's not bleeding be plenty rupture he's not going to bleed he's not bleeding because of a coagulopathy probably he's bleeding because of the rupture the mass is ruptured but we know that coagulopathy can be caused by consumption and loss so it may be worth in hemoabdomens or hemothorax when we know that the amount of bleeding has been extensive maybe just to check the PTA, PTT, because if there is, in addition to the rupture mass, there is an addition coagulopathy due to consumption or to loss, maybe maybe worth treating that with plasma infusion. And so we usually do that with PTA, PTT. No?
0: Yeah, so if, if there's if there's something that that we, we can help really, isn't it? Because yeah. I cause I think that that's a, that's another thing, and and, and definitely from <clears throat> people that we you know we we were trained in a in a similar environment, but we've definitely worked with people that are trained in a different environment. And as far as like if we have active bleeding, then obviously we need to think about ways to to support that. And if the clotting times are are prolonged, then then maybe that's an indication to to give um, uh, blood products to uh, mm-hmm. sorry sorry blood products for such as like, like plasma for prolonged uh, APTT or, or PT however if there's no clinical bleeding and these these uh, these clotting times are prolonged well you know, I suppose that's a that's a that's a different question that maybe we don't <laughs> we, you know you don't don't uh, don't don't treat unless there is actually something something going mm-hmm. on um uh, you know for, for those for those patients absolutely the, the converse thing um so so yes yeah, so a, a consumptive coagulopathy is probably quite quite Common, mm. isn't it? That that we yeah. that we see in patients that have like a like a big bleed, um, and maybe it's something that we can we can at least sort of support in 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 those uh, in those patients. I suppose the other thing, apart from a a, a abdominal bleed from say a. a um, ruptured, uh, uh, hemangiosarcoma in a spleen or, or or liver would be, um, say so like rodenticide in, ingestion and yeah. and a, sometimes apart from being in the abdomen or chest, you have these subcutaneous sort of massive bleeds, can't you? That, that mm. are just sort of under the neck or yeah. under the legs or some, some somewhere randomly um, that are uh, just are like a massive a massive hematoma, yeah. and obviously these guys are are, are very important to. To to treat with plasma. So, I suppose that, I mean, did you have access to to plasma when when you were in in, uh, practice?
1: Um, Well, so I started in um, Italy, it was kind of a while ago, wasn't it? Like it was 2007. Um, Basically, I didn't have access to plasma, so what I had to do in uh, practice, whether it was referral practice or or emergency practice, um primary um care basically we would have to call the blood donor <laughs> uh, now we didn't have a list of blood donors so we would just ask the owner like do you, do you know anyone that has a dog or actually you no know, take our own dogs and um, and basically give whole blood i think since i've been here in the uk and, and especially here at the rvc uh where we have like this blood transfusion service that is it's amazing for us. It's really useful. We just open the freezer and give <laughs> um, blood product. But I do realize that in practice you may not have uh, ready availability also because if you have for example a rodenticide toxicity, it comes in with pericardial fusion, with a, um, um, abdominal fusion, which is blood, so hemo, abdomen, to rodenticide toxicity. You can't just give vitamin K, right? You've got to give probably those 20 mls per kilo of Fresh frozen plasma, store frozen plasma as well. Like, but plasma straight away, you can't wait the day after. It's just gonna, I think, it's gonna just gonna bleed continuously. Doing another transfusion, well, you're giving more red blood cells than plasma, and the the patient is depleted of factors. Uh, So there's no point in re-giving the blood transfusion other than providing its own red blood cells. He needs new plasma. So in that case, I guess yes, getting a new like. A blood donor in um, and asking the owner to provide one what the practice is actually to make a list of potential blood donors whether they're stuffed dogs or, or dogs available to call at any time but yes you need blood product and in prior practice I think sometimes um, you just need a blood donor and get blood and give whole blood straight away.
0: I think the the uh, the pet blood bank obviously has uh, access to a large amount of uh, of blood products, and they're very sort of quick at delivering. But I I thought like it depends on the size of practice that I would work at. Mm. Um, but there's there's probably some economy to have if you had a uh, um, you know at least one practice in your area that could could have a, yeah. a freezer with fresh frozen plasma because it is good for a year and, and there's probably a time within that year if you have a, uh, a large enough you know group sorry, of practices yeah. in the area that probably use it because if you need it you need it otherwise yeah then they, these are things you have to get get blood donors in for or uh, or or, um, or refer the patient yeah. somewhere that has sort of blood products are available to, to, to give but but that maybe that if I was going to keep any blood products um, in if I was working in practice I think plasma would be something plasma, I could yeah. put in the freezer and and, uh, um, and uh, I hope not the freezer that I'm storing my <laughs> own food in but you know put it put in a proper freezer and and, uh, and have in, in case of a, in case of an issue. Yeah. So, um, so that that that's a, that's a, a great point. I think. We, I think the the the, the, the dealing disorders as well. That that I think that we tend to see are the, are the ones that. So, so we have the. Um, I was going to call it wishy-washy, but that's not 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 absolutely. That's not correct at all. But the bleeding disorders from things like angiostrongolus that could have like scleral hemorrhages or epistaxis or melena or anything, or any, you know, bleeding anywhere. They're kind of I'm not quite sure what's going on, but we do see a, a subset of patients I think that might have this thrombocytopathy associated with or or or, a, or maybe even a um a uh, consumptive coagulopathy associated with neoplasia I think and, mm-hmm. and these but I think with these guys they they don't tend so to bleed out too much do they no. there's sort of uh, uh, a a uh, a stable uh Bleeding disorder. I guess
1: it's a, yeah, it's a sort of systemic inflammatory. So like uh, we usually see. I, I mean, I don't want to better recognize or generalize and fall into the uh, sort of discussion at the pub. But, but um, usually that's what we see with Bernese mountain dogs that develop systemic inflammatory response syndrome secondary to neoplasia, patients with histiocyt sarcoma, uh, sarcomas. So usually, yeah, we do see this sort of oozing or, or, or subcutaneous hemorrhage and. Yeah, they are thrombocytopenic, but not that much to explain it. The their PTA PTT is prolonged, but not that much. So, I mean, neoplasia is reported to to cause DIC, and maybe at some stage it goes into the compensated DIC, and basically then you have bleeding uh, that may not necessarily be identified in one single area of the coagulation also because we know that the coagulation doesn't just fit into isn't it like just a primary secondary and a that's that's easy for <laughs> academic purposes but in reality it's it's way more complicated and uh, and, and there's a huge interaction so um, yeah,
0: ab- a- absolutely. Like it, it is far more sort of complicated than that, and I suppose that that in in, in my mind as well that the uh, um, although this is well, not just about my mind, but D- DIC, you know, is a is a syndrome in a, in itself, isn't it? There's another disease process going on, and all, all it really means is you've got a consumptive coagulopathy going on, but we don't know yeah. what the underlying sort of cause is. But it's just something that that means we've had a um, a increase in in uh, clot formation, and then. We We've consumed all those clotting factors, yeah. and then we don't have any now. So, so DIC is something that uh, we say when we're bleeding that we don't don't have any sort of ability yeah. to clot at the moment. We need to support the patient in doing that, but it's a, a syndrome sort of in in itself. Um, but part of that. As exactly you said, that that uh, uh, inflammatory coagulation um, cascade that they sort of fall together and cross-link yeah. in, a, in a something that's very that's very complicated. probably more complicated than either of us will be able to understand in our lifetimes. <laughs> yeah, but it's something sure, that yeah, that yeah, we really. sort of know little bits and we try and make yeah. things simple for um, measuring clotting times and things like that.
1: But you know, the the, the, the interesting thing is exactly this one, like because it. There are those cases where you can just you know, eyeball clinically, this is a primary coagulopathy, you do a platelet count, it's thrombocytopenic, nice, fits the book. Patient comes in with hemoabdomen, well, with suspected hemoabdomen, you do a PT, a PTT, off the scale, cool. Uh, secondary coagulopathy Uh, but a lot of times it's actually like a little bit of a fine tuning and especially in critical care I think that's why we like it so much I guess it's because it's more of a recipe so like uh, you know why is it bleeding is it because of a little bit of thromostopenia is it a little bit of a secondary coagulopathy so you actually need to titrate your treatment and obviously for thromostopenia we don't have much of a treatment other than providing platelets which is very limited in practice Um, but it's... I I find this, yeah, uh, just different phenotypes are uh, very interesting but i've gone completely off so well,
0: maybe if we, <laughs> let's if, go back if we if we get back a bit and we and we say so as, a, as a as a general approach to bleeding i suppose it, 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 that a lot of information that we get is probably w- how the patient is bleeding and and whether they do have anything that we can see like that petechiae or ecchymosis or whether they have like pools of blood anywhere and maybe we're trying to identify like a site of them of them bleeding so is mm-hmm. it anything obvious so obviously if they've had trauma well they've had trauma and we'll yeah. we'll, we'll we'll deal with that um uh, in a in a in a different manner but if they haven't had trauma and they're and they're bleeding or they look like they're bleeding but there's no external signs of it then we go looking for that don't yes. we so, so that's where the the use of the point of care ultrasound is really beneficial because you can put that on the thorax or abdomen and have a look to see if there's any free abdominal fluid or three or, or, or retroperitoneal fluid as well or pericardial or pleural fluid and then we can aspirate that permitting that that, that we're not actively bleeding anywhere and work out whether that's blood or not by comparing that to the periphery and then we need to work out again as we as we said before what what is going on so so you know are we are we thrombocytopenic or, or are we do we think we might be thrombocytopathic although that's not necessarily yeah. um very very common um and also you know has there been an exposure to rodenticides or is this mm-hmm. a a uh, um a congenital problem that we need to think about but i suppose that we do need to have a have a look if the patient we suspect from their clinical picture is bleeding. Have a look for where it is bleeding, and and uh, I suppose we both seen things that you know bleed in the in the um, urogenital tract as well can be quite quite profound. Because you said mm. like hematuria before, it, it's, it, again it's not a um, a common thing, but you yeah. you 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 can have uh, severe uh, blood yeah. loss from 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 that that site as well, which is um, which which you obviously sort of need to need to address and maybe have different uh um different differentials on your on your list as as well so um and then if we if we think about what we're looking at yeah so so um a uh a, um so if we look at a platelet account obviously it would be a, a first step to do and 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 it, it's really you know, when, when we talk about looking at blood smears uh, um, before with with Kate English, I like it you know. So I have a few questions that when I look at the smear, and I'm sure that you do as as well. So it, so it, we're not asking for some detailed interpretation of uh, of everything. Not able to do that I, in emergency. <laughs> not not at all. Yeah. But it's just like look at, look at the platelet uh, uh, number and, and and count, and then yes. and then go from there. And I suppose that depending on that. Then plus or minus our, our clotting times, and again we're like pretty fortunate to um, have the ability to look at clotting times in mm. in house, and, and that and that definitely um, that, that definitely sort of helps us from time to time. But I don't think it's necessarily something that we use um, every day, I, I would have thought, unless no, we're no, really. um, and, and and yeah, in 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 our in our in our hospital. But uh, um, but yeah, go through the go through the normal normal steps. Yeah is there is there anything do you think your attitude to or, or, or do you know what has anything changed your approach to how you manage like uh bleeding disorders or how how you approach them clinically? Kind of
1: um i think i'm a bit more conservative if you want so, like, for example, before uh, before coming here at the RBCM and being a little bit more structured, uh, you know, increase PTA, PTT, let's give plasma just because following the numbers. Numbers are abnormal, let's give plasma. Actually, y- as you said, like, you do need to have the clinical indications and you need to fit your numbers into the clinical picture. It's not always PTA, PTT is increased, let's give plasma. It's, it, it's different. So I've, I've probably learn to interpret the mm, lab testing and the clinical uh, picture together i think that's the main um, main thing and also i think it really helps in uh, with the bleeding patients or with a suspected bleeding patient, as you said just like to to divide is this traumatic is there a good explanation for this or is it spontaneous if it is spontaneous is it coagulopathic or is it structural, like something reason bleeding um, bleeding? Before doing any invasive investigations, if you've got spontaneous bleeding, it may be just worth running the coagulation test. so like looking at platelets, doing a PTA, PTT before sampling or anything. If you're worried about coagulopathy, because for example, if you've got a pericardial diffusion and you're going to sample it i think it's always worth if you've got the suspicion of coagulopathy just to check pta ptt otherwise it's just gonna bleed out so uh or continue bleeding so i guess that's a little bit more like if you smell a coagulopathy maybe rule it out um before doing anything invasive it doesn't mean delaying what you're gonna do but it's just maybe accelerating your diagnostics i think that's what what i've learned here is that Giving the priority to the right tests and do them straight away. Don't mess around. That's what what, what I've learned from you. <laughs> well, among that, the other things. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> well, are yeah, too kind. Um, but I, I think you know it's good. Is there anything else do you think you would add, like as in a, as in an approach to uh, to, a, to a bleeding disorder? I think it's pretty good i feel like it's a test but no it's it was more of a, it's more of a question because i think we we've, we've uh, i think we've we've gone through that uh, pretty thoroughly but maybe maybe we haven't and uh, if we haven't um if you could uh, if you could uh, let it let us know um that that's you the listener not not you dr cortellini but thank you very much dr Cortlini, for your time thank you thanks and very nice to
1: speak to you as usual
0: and, and thank you everyone for, for listening thank you um uh, for uh, for taking the time to download this podcast um, if you could just kindly get uh, the Apple Podcasts and uh, leave us a five-star review, that would be fantastic. Once um, we'll, here, we'll put a few show notes on the RVC pages. So if you just type in RVC Clinical Podcast into your search engine, it should be top of the tree. If you have any comments or suggestions of this podcast, um, you can email me at dbarfield at rvc.ac.uk or, or you can uh, tweet or even follow me at Don Barfield. Until next time, bye-bye.